Welcome to another episode of The Force Podcast. I am FIBA CEO and President David Schwartz. What does the banker of the future need to be successful? In this podcast, we address this and other key topics in a chat where I find myself in the hot seat, being interviewed by FIBA Next Gen Committee co-chairs Harry Cup, Compliance Officer of Banco de Bogota, Miami and New York Agencies, and Sissy Oliver, Senior Manager of Protivity. Why don't, why don't we begin since the podcast, uh, you know, you are uh, our, our, our person being interviewed right now. Uh, <laughs> tell us how long you've been at FIBA. Well, I have been at FIBA and it was very interesting timing since April 1st of 2012. Um, you know, I say interesting timing because, of course, I was a banker for many, many years, and uh, this was not where I thought my career uh, would turn. So April 1st seemed kind of appropriate. Okay. Okay. Uh, that, that is, uh, I, I did know you were a banker before, yeah. for a couple of years, uh, I'm sure. One or uh, two. Yeah, one or two. There you go. <laughs> All right, but since you've been in FIBA, um, you know, obviously FIBA has changed a lot since probably since, since when it started. Um, what would you, how would you say has been FIBA's change throughout these years? Well, you know, when FIBA started, uh, it was really started more as a networking association because international banking was something very new to Miami. And it was made up, uh, the community was made up of all domestic banks. And they were trying to figure out how to deal with this capital flight situation out of Latin America. So they got together, uh, signed a, an association agreement, and they would just get together and meet and discuss the issues they were facing, how, how to deal with them, uh, best practices. And back then, there was no FIBA in terms of structure, infrastructure, staff. There was whoever the president of FIBA was and whoever helped him and a board of directors. And that evolved into the 80s when finally FIBA became so active. Uh, we started to do small events. There were trips to Tallahassee to visit with the controller of the state of Florida and the division of banking to discuss international banking issues and with the legislature. So a full-time executive director was hired. And interestingly enough, we still didn't have an office. The executive director actually was inside the World Trade Center that gave us an office. We had a very close relation with them. And as FIBA kept growing and uh, the issues we started facing became more important, particularly after 9-11 and the Patriot Act, then we started to put on bigger events like the anti-money laundering conference. We started to go to Washington to face the regulators directly and Treasury Department, FinCEN, uh, and, and so FIBA kept growing. And that's when, you know, with all growth, you need staff uh, for all those additional activities. And so in terms of membership, uh, FIBA at one point was a very large organization. There were over 200 uh, foreign banks in Miami between agencies, branches, edge acts, et cetera. Uh, but then thanks to the Patriot Act and all the regulation, that number, as you've seen, has shrunk. Uh, your bank is one of a few uh, foreign bank offices that are still left in Miami, which is rather true. unfortunate. Um, so when I came on, we were really purely know, a banking organization and one of the ideas in my platform had been that we needed to expand and we needed to include particularly the securities industry because banks had acquired broker dealers. We had Bank of America with Merrill Lynch. And if they didn't acquire one, they were opening their own affiliates and subsidiaries. So we started including uh, wealth managers, uh, investment advisors, brokers into the FIBA membership uh, also to help us evolve because banks were shrinking. So we needed to find 
members somewhere else. Uh, and the other plank really in my platform was Washington, was advocacy in terms of Congress, but really more in terms of Treasury, FinCEN, OFAC, because they're the ones that impact you more than Congress. Sure, Congress is going to pass legislation. You know, we have the Anti-Money Laundering Act of 2020 that's inside the National Defense Authorization Act. Um, but who has to implement that? Who has to create the rules, the guidelines, et cetera? Treasury, FinCEN. Uh, so that's where we focused our efforts and uh, very successfully. We have a fantastic relationship with all of the federal functional regulators, both banking and securities, as well as Treasury and FinCEN. So we've had quite an evolution in, in terms of what our objectives were. I know you've, um, you know, you, you, you within FIBA and within the recent years, you, you've accomplished, you know, uh, quite a few things, uh, you know, when it comes, like you said, when it comes to advocacy um, and going to Washington and, you know, getting getting involved when there's proposed rulemakings, when there's questions. Uh, maybe you can tell us like some of the, what are some of the recent things that FIBA has done in the past years that have been influential and that have changed the landscape? Sure, and, and that's true. Uh, as I said, there has been uh, quite an evolution I think probably our strongest and most active committee is the Legal and Regulatory Affairs Committee. And in recent years, we've faced issues both at the state level and in Washington. You know, at the state level, for example, a couple of years ago, the Office of Financial Regulation approached us and said it's time to modernize and update the international banking statutes for the state of Florida. Uh, they came to few. And we sat down probably over at least six months and analyzed the statutes of other states. Uh, and these meetings were held with both the OFR and FIBA, Legal and Regulatory Affairs. And I think that was a, a very important accomplishment because the idea was to make South Florida or Florida as a whole a, a competitive in terms of international banking. And I think we've seen uh, a lot of international banking, uh, and now we're starting to see it in hedge funds, um, equity partnerships, investment advisors, all coming to Miami, moving out of the Northeast because we are competitive. You know, Miami is open for business. So I think that was a big accomplishment at the state level. Uh, at the federal level, we've had you know, a couple of different, uh, uh, shall we say, successes. One is our relationship with the SEC. Uh, it's not every day you get to sit down with uh, the people that, that author the rules for the SEC and have an impact. And if you look, for example, at the recent regulation best interest, which really imposes a fiduciary standard on, uh, on broker dealers and the securities industry, when you read it, and if anybody wants to look in the footnotes, but you don't have to do that, just use the search engine and put in FIBA, you're gonna find FIBA actually mentioned there on five separate occasions. And right. I think that shows that we definitely have an impact uh, at that level. Um, you know, on the banking side, we have, and that's thanks to um, Clemente Vasquez Bello, who unfortunately is no longer with us, but he obtained a seat at the table for us with FinCEN on the Bank Secrecy Act Advisory Group. So while we have Las Vegas rules that what happens at BSAG stays at BSAG. Uh, I can just tell you that it's a very influential group. FIBA is a voice at that table. And I think uh, that we have definitely over the years had some impact. And I know Cece has a few questions. So. <laughs> what are some of the changes that FIBA has gone to has done to adapt to the current COVID-19 pandemic? Well, that's a very good question. Um, you know, FIBA was fortunate in that we're in 2021 now. Sometimes I have to think because, you know, as people are joking, we really haven't left 2020. This is, we're going into month 15 since we're still in the pandemic. But um, we back probably about six or seven years ago, already began to acquire, install, and implement 
advanced technology for being able to do things remotely, virtually. We were already not only running webinars out of our training room, uh, but we were running programs with banks in Latin America and the Caribbean virtually. You know, we were doing it remote just as everybody's doing now, just what we are doing right now. So not that, uh, you know, I was any great visionary and saw a pandemic coming and boy, we better do this. But it was something, that, a type of innovation that had to happen in any case. I think the pandemic has just accelerated it for other people. So on March 16th, like most of the country and the banks, we went remote. We, we closed the office, but we were prepared. You know, we forwarded our telephones to our cell phones and we switched on our laptops, which everybody already had a laptop from the office, encrypted, connected to the network. So we were ready to go. And immediately we started putting on webinars not just for you know regulation and compliance but also for the community and some of those are still going listen on tuesday afternoons at five o'clock we have yoga you know because this pandemic is more than just about trying to keep up with the regulation and what's going on in the industry but we're trying to keep our sanity right i think that's important so we've done webinars on you know remote working uh, nutrition um, you know, how to relax, how to, how to keep yourself sane. Um, you know, for you younger people, you don't have a couple of kids running around the house and you're trying to balance kids and school and, and your spouse is home at the same time. Uh, so, you know, we wanted to make sure that people were able to cope with that. Uh, we did our first virtual conference and it was the anti-money laundering conference it was an overwhelming success. Uh, you know, really, it's not just a question of, of having Zoom, which is you know, what we're doing now, but we were able to secure a very good virtual platform that was very interactive. Sponsors could have virtual booths that people could visit. You know, it's not the same as being in person and standing in a booth and taking candy out of a little candy dish or uh, whatever the giveaway might be, but it's as close you know, as we're going to get in this environment and at least we have that connection. Uh, so as I said, we were, we were prepared, we hit the ground running, and um, we were able to adapt. I, you know, I, I, I agree. I think, uh, I, I think uh, that when we did, uh, that when, when FIBA did the uh, conference, um, the virtual conference, I think, you know, nobody really knew what to expect, because, uh, you know, it had, you, no one you hadn't gone through it in that way. Um, and you know, definitely, I, I you know, I, I thought it was, you know, it, it, the presentation was the presentation, the interaction. Um, you know, obviously, we know the topics are good, but everybody really wanted to see how this would work, and I think it was good, and I think that's why we're doing it this year. Um, so yeah, you know, in in regards to that, and and seeing how things have changed, right? with COVID-19, how do you see things, you know, for FIBA coming in the future a little bit? Well, you know, I think for for now, we're still virtual. Um, you know, the, the AML conference will be March 22nd through the 24th. Uh, Registration so far are going very well. Um, you know, it's interesting because, of course, when you're doing virtual, you have much lower costs, you know, lower expenses, so you can lower the price, which gives you know, a more diverse group, the opportunity to participate Because normally a bank will send their senior compliance or risk staff. And now they have the capability and, you know, the budget to be able to send, you know, more junior level people, maybe even some business line people, frontline people so that they can get a better understanding of how this works. So, you know, for, for at least the first half of the year, we will stay virtual. We are looking, of course, at the future, and the future may be hybrid. Um, you know, the future may be that not everybody now is going to travel. They're not all going to be able to attend conferences, but they can virtually. So you can run uh, an in-person event, be able to stream it. Now we have the experience. We know it works. The technology works just fine. Um, but I think, you know, we will probably have a progression uh, I think in the beginning, everybody wants to get out of the house. Uh, 
you know, we, we're running the, uh, the organizing the Feliban Annual Assembly, which is slated for October 31st through November 2nd. As, as soon as we put up the website and sent out the save the date, we were bombarded with people that wanted to register. How do I register? Where's the registration? Where are the sponsorship opportunities? I need 16 rooms. Uh, you know, people really want to get out. And all of those that sent us that were from Latin America, not here local, but from Latin America. So they're very optimistic uh, <laughs> that they're going to be able to get out. Uh, let's hope. You know, it's all going to depend upon the vaccination strategy and and execution. I think at least here it seems to be going well. And in some countries in Latin America, Colombia, where your bank is from, they just opened it up that private companies, private enterprise can now purchase vaccines. Chile is already there. Panama is getting it. So, you know, I think not, not that it's going to disappear, but it's going to become like the flu, right? You get a flu vaccine every year. You may still have to get a COVID vaccination every year, but right. at least we'll know how to live with it. So as I said, we'll, we'll be virtual now. We'll probably next step for us will be hybrid. And then at that point, we'll see what the environment looks like. David, so you have had a very successful career in, ban in banking. Based on your experience, do you have any recommendations for millennials or Gen Zs trying to succeed in the banking industry? You know, uh, I don't think anything's changed from the time I came in to now in terms of what you need to be successful. And it comes down to one thing, knowledge. You know, it's all about learning. Uh, when I started Now, I'm a lawyer by training, so I'm not a banker by training. I'm not accounting, an accountant. I had no accounting background. I came into banking only because, and I don't mind dating myself, uh, in 1982, nobody knew how to operate a computer. And I did, and I knew how to program computers. I had one at home. So you never know what it's going to be that you learn that could be that key to help you move on. Yeah, that's something that we've always espoused at FIBA in terms of education. And that's why we have such a very strong uh, institute in terms of training. You know, if you want to be a, a compliance officer, uh, you know, it used to be you could just be in whatever area of the bank and they'd move you into compliance. Well, compliance is complicated now. I'm sure Harry could tell us how complicated it is for him. Uh, so you need that knowledge. You need to learn. And there are you know, there are outlets to do that. You know, universities now have courses in banking. They have courses in compliance, in, in credit, you know, credit analysis, et cetera. And, you know, it, it's, it's having that knowledge, you know, FIBA, we offer certifications and compliance training. Um, but it's not just all about compliance. Obviously banking is much more than that. When I came in, I took credit analysis training. Uh, I went for three months and uh, I trained on credit analysis so that I could understand how that worked. You know, all the knowledge you can acquire can only help you in your career. So the most important thing is that gain as much knowledge as you can about banking, about the industry, and that's always going to be helpful in your career. David, I think, um, you know, I, I think sometimes, uh, kind of making it easier for other people to to understand and, and, and to see the value. Maybe you could you could ex explain what is, you know, what is the value of being a FIBA member? Well, you know, I think we, we've talked about a few of the things. Uh, the advocacy, of course, uh, if you're an institution in, in today's world, you, everything that comes out of Washington impacts you. And we are there. You know, we are there. We are the voice for you of international banking in Washington, just as we are in Tallahassee for the state of Florida. And I think that adds great value uh, for somebody to know that we have your back. You know, if you have an issue, bring it to us. And whether it's a comment letter, whether it's a call to somebody in Washington, whether it's a visit. You know, I spend a lot of time on airplanes and a lot of time in Washington knocking on those doors to let them know our point of view. Because the, the issue that they have is we're very particular in South Florida. We are a unique market. There isn't another market like us in the country. So when regulations, laws are passed 
They're thinking domestically. They're not thinking globally. And that's what we bring to the table in that respect. Uh, the networking, of course, you know, being able to connect with your, your colleagues, your peers and exchange ideas. Uh, that's part of the, uh, the, the beauty of, of a con in-person conference is you, know, you get to walk around and talk to people and exchange ideas with people, not just from here in South Florida, FIBA's reach is global. You know, you're walking around and talking to people from all over Latin America, the Caribbean, Europe, you know, wherever that may be that have different perspectives, different points of view to exchange with you. That can be very helpful. You know, I mentioned education. We have a great institute. We really have some fantastic courses. You know, we do have the compliance certifications, but we're progressive. We have cybersecurity. We have, you know, sanctions. We even have compliance for fintechs. I mean, we've gone that far because we have those new players in the market. And, and I think, you know, other value is that we have the committee structure. You now, you are the chairs of, of our next gen committee, which I think is an extremely important committee because you ask the question, you know, what, what, what advice would I give? Well, that's where it starts, you know, talking to your peers. What are you guys doing? What's going on in your bank? What opportunities are there? You know, how are you advancing if you're getting promoted in, in your institution? You know, how does that work? And, you know, we have the legal committee, we have the compliance committee, you know, we have an operations and technology, we have an innovation committee that, that's really looking at all this new technology that's coming out. And one of our, our strongest and most active committee is our women's leadership committee. You know, we, we created that several years ago. It actually started as an initiative was actually the title, but it became so popular and, and, and so strong that it converted into a committee. And one of their goals is just that. I mean, obviously uh, we talk a lot about the, the glass ceiling uh, and it's, you know, how do, how do we break that? And, and how can we help each other move forward? Uh, you know, the diversity, look, our chair this year, we have a, a woman chair, you know, FIBA's always looking to, to be a diverse organization, whether it's the membership um, in terms of institutions, fintechs, um, law firms, you know, you're going to come into contact with all the players in international financial services. And it's, uh, you know, it's a one-stop shop, so to speak. And I think those are, are all the advantages you have of being a member. Of course. So David, so once you become a FIVA member, what's the best way to be able to join a committee? You know, it's so easy to join a committee because as a member, you have that right. You know, and we encourage it. We want more participation. Uh, so you just have to reach out. Uh, to FIBA. In fact, uh, the, the best person to reach out to for all those things is Tanya Masonet. Tanya is, uh, is really um, become so active. I think she's more active now that we're remote than she was when we were in person because we've had to do so many more things in this virtual world. Um, but Tanya helps, you know, coordinate all that. She coordinates all the member services. She coordinates all the webinars, uh, and, and she's the, the best person to get in touch with if you want to join a committee. I agree with that. I agree with that, by the way, she's, she's on top of everything on top of everyone. I mean, it, like you said, since the pandemic, I see her like you extremely active. I, I wonder if she sleeps at one point. <laughs> well, she has noticed that I do send emails late at night, so she's still yes. looking at her emails uh, when I'm doing that. And that's not the intention. That's for me to clear my plate, not expecting anybody to respond at that hour. <laughs> All right, David, I, I think I think a lot, um, you know, what, what a lot of people are talking about is, look, since since pandemic started, right? Obviously, every time there's a crisis, change comes after, right? Um, and you've seen, like in this time around, you see, you see companies trying, of course, this was the probably, you would call it maybe the digital movement, right? It's going to be, because before we had a lot of it, right? But there wasn't that push, there wasn't that need as it is, as it's now. You see regulators now being more proactive in, 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 you know, especially in, in the couple of years, actually, even probably even before the pandemic that 
you know, more, more, more proactive in banks using FinTech, bank you automatic, uh, you know, using automation for a lot of things. Um, so obviously this is bringing a change within financial industries. You're even seeing, you know, what, what you call FinTechs uh, turning into sort of, you know, banks, uh, you know, that leverage on that technology, at least the operational technology. Um, you know, you're, you're seeing more types of financial institutions, obviously some that don't have, uh, you know, they're all, some are all virtual. We've had virtual before, but there's definitely an explosion now of that type of financial industry. And it seems like it, this is all coming, you know, uh, to us, to Miami, uh, to the world, everywhere. It's not just here, it's international. I've seen it now in Colombia. I see it in South America, places where you would know, you know, no, not normally see some of these changes. Um, and obviously a lot of this integrates with banks because fintech is not just, you know, Bitcoin, it's, it's the technology behind it. It's, it's you know, how banks can leverage it to make more efficient technology, make more efficient payments, make more efficient, uh, interaction with the customer virtually. So, you know, with all this in mind, how, you know, what do you, what do you see for the banking industry in the future? Well, you know, I, I travel around quite a bit. I get invited to speak at events, you know, here in Latin America, in the Caribbean. And in the last few years, I've been asked to speak on technology and innovation, uh, which is very interesting. And it's because of this whole Bitcoin, blockchain and new technology, fintechs that are coming up. And I've always said the same thing. Uh, to these, uh, to the audience, to these bankers, is if you don't innovate, you will die. Uh, you know, I had typically given about a five-year or so timeline because there's always something that causes change. So, you know, fintech and the new technology of blockchain started to create this new wave of innovation. Um, but now with the pandemic, We've seen that if you're not digital, if you're not prepared to be um, technologically innovative in terms of how you uh, service your customers, FinTech's going to step in and take over because now what's happening? FinTechs are seeing that ability to get a bank charter for their specific service, but it's a bank charter. So sure, it starts with payments because payments was the easiest space for them to get into, but it's expanded to lending. You know, we've seen it in, in mortgages and we've seen banks partnering with fintechs, white labeling the services, because there's always a bank somewhere behind there helping out. Um, but it's in the way you acquire customers. As you said, yes, there are banks that are only online. Some of those banks that have become very uh, strong in other parts of the world, you know, Europe, uh, Brazil, for example, are coming to the U.S. and they're trying to implement those exact same models. And you know, with the uh, the millennials and uh, Gen Zs and all of that, you guys don't want to go to, into a bank to do your business. You know, you've got one of these smartphones, right? Everything's here. Uh, I've got my banking apps. I can make my payments. I've got Venmo or Zelle or whatever it is I'm going to use. So, you know, I can get all the services right there. Now, how does a bank adapt? Because those are the services they used to operate with. Uh, now, big companies at this point are not running to use uh, FinTech or anything like that. Uh, you know, you do have the issue of, of capital and, and, and being able to lend the, the type of money that, uh, that big companies need, but it's eating away at smaller business, at individuals. So banks have been trying to adapt. Uh, you've been seeing some of our banks in South Florida, some of our smaller banks, right? It's it's online, they're digital. You wanna open an account? Sure, you can go online and open an account. Uh, you wanna make payments? Not a problem, they're connecting to Zelle so that you can right. use Zelle. Um, you know, banks are having to adapt to all these innovative technologies and particularly in the compliance space. You know that compliance is very burdensome. There's just so many I's to dot and T's to cross that how do you keep up with it all? So you keep adding more and more and more staff. That's not the answer. 
And technology is the answer. And we've seen the technologies there that are helping to relieve that burden and become more efficient. So sure, in a few more years, you know, if, if you're a bank and it doesn't matter that you're a smaller bank, there are technologies for all size banks. Uh, it's, this isn't just a big bank issue, uh, which is what the concern was in the industry. Only the big banks can afford this. And here we go again, small banks will disappear. There won't be main street banks anymore because uh, we can't afford the technology that we need to keep up with the big banks. No, not true. You know, there's a customer segment for everybody to deal with and, and to service. And, you know, you just have uh, a different level of technology. You, you have a different segment market uh, of customers and you can continue to operate, but you have to innovate. You can't just sit on these legacy systems that you have. Um, I mean, look at some of them. I mean, this, the one that I saw a demo for a couple of years ago that really fascinated me was the facial recognition when somebody enters the lobby of the building and immediately the facial recognition knows who they are. It's this customer. So an alert goes to an account officer somewhere, big customer in the lobby, immediately somebody needs to, to take care of them and not just leave them wandering around trying to figure it out. Those are the types of things that are coming. Uh, you know. but, but isn't that the fear that maybe, you know, just like everything else, like the Amazons of the world. And, you know, at first there's a bunch of technology and yes, at first, you know, cause this, this is where we are at now, you know, it's technology is just coming. Right. And like you said, banks have always uh, been hesitant to innovate because well, regulation there's, you know, if you're going to implement something, you have to, go through independent audits, all of this validation. Um, and of course, all of this cost. And then, you know, once technology is settled, you know, the, the, I guess there is that fear that think banks will be the ones that will have all this, you know, you see Bank of America, Citibank, they, they have the best platforms, you know, the, the fastest payment processing, you know, sometimes. So uh, uh, the, the, big, the big banks in general. Customer service and fintech integration are key in the future of banking. What is the trend? Will mergers and acquisitions continue? Will there be more reforms and tightening of regulations during the current administration? In the next segment, our guests will discuss this and more. To no surprise that in South Florida, especially, we've seen a lot of mergers and acquisitions. How do you see this affecting 2021? Well, I think a couple of them are, are winding up, in fact, this year. You know, a lot of those mergers and acquisitions, interestingly enough, uh, comes from that reduction in the number of foreign banks that we have. Now, South Florida is such an important market now. You know, we are the gateway to Latin America or the capital of Latin America, whatever you want to say. And because of that, foreign banks want to be players in this market. Now, before they opened a branch here, but of course, foreign branches and agencies were limited in the types of business they could transact. So they, what did they start doing? They started acquiring community banks, smaller banks here in the market, which gave them not only their foreign branch, but it also gave them a bank in the local market, which allows them to service their customers because what's happening and has happened for many years with Latin America and the Caribbean is they come, they buy a second home here, their doctors are here, their lawyers are here, their accountants are here. They send their kids to school here to college. Look at how FIU has grown as an institution. And a lot of that is due to foreign students. So we've seen a lot of that merger and acquisition activity because everybody wants to be in South Florida. You know, we are the place to be. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, sure for FIBA, uh, every time they merge, it seems like it's two FIBA members merging or acquiring each other. Um, but now we have new players coming into the market. You know, this, uh, um, we, we have new players and different types of players coming in from outside uh, and not just foreign, but domestic. You know, we're seeing mergers, for example, First Horizon and Iberia, which are actually two banks from outside of the state of Florida, 
but now they have a significant presence here. Uh, I used to work at Regions, but when I first started, it was Union Planters, which had a presence here. Regions had a presence up more up north. So you had a merger. So we're going to see that it, it will continue, uh, not at the pace that we've seen in the past. There just aren't that many banks. I mean, we have, uh, after the crisis of 2007, 2008, seen a pretty significant reduction in the number of banks in the United States. So you won't see at the same pace. But as I said, it's important because it brings more activity to South Florida and it brings in more players. David, a lot of things, maybe something that <clears throat> a lot of people are, are, are thinking now, I guess, is <clears throat> do you think with just, you know, changes in administration, changes in, you know, just all around, do you, do you think, you know, do you expect, I guess, regulation to be changing a little bit in, in the next couple of years? Do you think it'll get more strict in some ways? Or or do you think there are particular areas where, you know, there will be like more clarity regulation in, 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 some, in some aspects? Well, we're already seeing some of the changes. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, you know, the biggest change took place under the previous administration. Not that the previous administration actually uh, signed off on it, but Congress, uh, in, in a bipartisan way, uh, was so bent on getting the, the National Defense Authorization Act passed and pulled in you know, the, the Corporate Transparency Act, the Illicit Cash Act, and several others that were reforms uh, in, in terms of regulation. And, and I think the new administration is going to carry that forward. You know, everybody's always concerned when there's a change in administration, uh, we have a change in philosophy, and, you know, the current administration, well, they're going to come after the banks. They don't like the big banks. Uh, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it always winds up being somewhere closer to the middle. Uh, and I don't think that will be any different this time. You know, some of the interesting places that we could see some reform is in the sanctions area. Uh, as we recall, uh, the previous administration <clears throat> loved to use sanctions uh, for everything, uh, and they used it on the main players, you know, Venezuela and, and Cuba. And the previous administration to that, of course, as we know, was looking to open relations with Cuba. So it'll be interesting to see if we move back in that direction or if it's too big of a challenge to go back as far uh, as we were because we've had some intervening issues that have come up that may not make that move so quickly. Uh, and then there, there is the streamlining of regulation. There's just too much of it out there. Uh, and it's old, you know, the Bank Secrecy Act is over 50 years old. So we're finally going to see some innovation, some updating, some modernization of that, which is not a bad thing. Uh, it's a good thing. I think FinCEN will finally get some additional resources. Um, you know, we're a big country uh, with a lot of moving parts and a lot of banks and industries uh, that we have to protect. And to have a, a division of treasury that's as small as FinCEN is, but with the obligations that it has, uh, is, is too big a challenge. So there will definitely be some, uh, some reform there. I think FinCEN will get a little more money thrown its way so that they can have some uh, more staff to be able to face these issues and in the area of technology also that they'll be able to implement. Do you think it will be enough change to modernize the BSA in a significant way? Um, I am an eternal optimist, but I am also right. a realist. <laughs> and uh, if we take the CDD rule as an example, which uh, came out, you know, was implemented in 2018, that was probably at least 10 years in the making. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't have taken that long, particularly since we know the Financial Tax Action Task Force FATF was always criticizing the US because there are many countries around the world that have much more transparency than we do because we were always imposing that on other countries, but yet we didn't have it ourselves. Um, so look at the reform we have. What is the reform? A centralized registry. Is it public? No. Do you have access to it as a financial institution? 
only if your client authorizes it. Now, no customer is going to turn you down for that, but still, it, it, again, it's we're inching forward, but we're still not there. And there are just too many competing interests uh, in the US, too many lobbies. Uh, that's why I say FIBA, we advocate. We're not lobbyists. We're not throwing money around uh, up on Capitol Hill. We're not allowed to do that. We're just a voice uh, of reason to explain what the better path is. So uh, we'll have some successes, uh, but they may not be uh, as go as far as we would like them to go. All right, that's 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 a that's a that's a good answer, I guess. It's 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 as real as, as it's gonna get. <laughs> it is, as I said, you know, I, uh, you know, you always like to think that the right thing will be done, uh, but unfortunately, and I think the pandemic uh, is a great <laughs> reflection. Uh, we don't always do the right thing, do we? I mean, how difficult is it to put on a mask, wash your hands, and socially distance? I don't think that's asking a lot but we're seeing the challenge in just executing that and what the effects can be if we don't. So um, not that I, we're gonna get out of this pandemic. I'm optimistic on that also, um, but maybe just, again, not as fast as we should have. It seems like we, we, we may have, uh, well, they were saying recently that, you know, in, in probably a couple of months, we'll have all of the, well, all adults will be vaccinated in the US that, that may not be the case for Latin America, of course. So, I mean, th there'll probably th th there'll probably be a difference there between, you know, as usual, you know, we, between the U.S. having, you know, vaccinated pretty much population versus, you know, lagging the other countries in, in, in coming to this. Um, Cece, what do you got? Let, let, let's uh let, this is our opportunity to hit david hard with the questions let's see what would you say to that bank or audit firm that is not a fiba member i'd say they're missing out um, because their competitors their colleagues are already here they are at fiba they are at the table they are gaining that visibility that they are trying to figure out how they can get on being able to stay involved and stay in touch and stay up to date with everything that's happening. Because you can read all the newsletters and newspapers. Sure, I do that every morning. You know, I receive those blogs and everything, but that's just the top layer. It doesn't tell me what's really going on underneath. And that's the that's what you're missing out on if you're not a FIBA. I think that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for the tough questions. You were, you were waiting for the tough questions. <laughs> um, I guess I guess let, let's let's go over um, uh, one one more. I guess um, you know we, we talked about you know how I guess a little bit about the future how how FIBA you know ha it will will be adapting to the future a little bit in the AML conference. Uh, but you know what? What can members expect from FIBA? You know, two, three years, and who who will be FIBA members in 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 several years? Well, you know, we're already seeing uh, the shift in the types of uh, people, firms, companies that are members. So, you know, we're still primarily a banking organization, but we do have, as I said, broker dealer members. We have fintech members we will have reg tech members we will have foreign financial institutions that aren't here in the u.s as members um, because we can represent them in front of the regulators that have an impact uh, and also provide that networking that they need with their correspondence here in the u.s or potential correspondence that are here in the u.s uh, we have of course consultants we have law firms accountants etc now, we will see more, um, you know, expansion probably in the wealth area. Uh, if we look at Wells Fargo as an example, uh, we're seeing Wells Fargo getting out of the line of business and those people are going to either smaller firms, becoming, you know, registered investment advisors, 
Um, and, and so they can become members of FIBA now. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're really looking to maintain that global nature and we'll do that by attracting uh, not only uh, people from within the U.S., but outside. I, I think one of the, one of the, you know, you, you, you kind of mentioned it is, is you know, in, in one of the largest segments of FIBA is, you know, the international financial institutions, right? There's a lot of Latin America in there. Um, they, they see the value in FIBA. They um, obviously come to FIBA for many certifications um, because it, I, I, yeah, I, I do believe FIBA is, you know, does provide the cert, you know, certifications that they need that explains that, you know, helps them understand the U.S. financial system. Because again, you know, they don't operate in the U.S. A lot of them don't operate in the U.S. system. They only operate through correspondent accounts um, or have accounts. I mean, you know, with U.S. financial institutions. What, what, what do you say to, you know, all those foreign financial institutions, Latin American financial institutions, and wherever else FIBA wants to go, right, of why they should be more involved with FIBA? Well, I, I, again, it comes back to, as I said, advocacy. And the advocacy in this case, it's not just um, regulatory, although that's still important for them, because I always tell them, uh, any event I speak at, you know, you have three regulators. You have the local one in your country of origin. You have the uh, U.S. Treasury Department, FinCEN, in Washington, because they're imposing uh, regulations on your correspondent bank, who is your third regulator. They're the ones responsible for making sure that you are following and complying with not only your local regulations, but with the ones that are here in the U.S. So, you know, we, we still, we when we advocate, we advocate on behalf of the industry, whether they're here or whether they're outside, because they are impacted. Correspondent banking is impacted by these regulations. <clears throat> the networking is also important for them because we'll come back to correspondent banking again. They need correspondence. They need to make those U.S. dollar payments. And sometimes it's a challenge for them because their countries are considered high risk. Even if the institution is doing a great job, the country isn't, and that becomes a challenge. So being able to have that kind of communication and, and contact with the FIBA members that represent um, the big banks all the way down to the community banks that are working in this industry, it gives them that opportunity. I do get contacted buy foreign banks and say, listen, I'm struggling. Can you help me try and find the correspondent? And we connect them. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. It just depends on the situation. But, you know, other than, of course, the training, I think those are two important aspects that uh, they would acquire as being FIBA members. All right. All right, David, I think we've gone through quite a few questions. Uh... <laughs> I don't know how many more you want to take. <laughs> I, I, just didn't, I thought you had, you know, like the really, the ones that I had to duck and avoid because you can't say it in public. But that's, that's I, I still want to be a FIBA member. So <laughs> no, I would, I would. <laughs> that, that never, that, that never, <laughs> you'd be surprised that uh, some of the people I faced in Latin America, I mean, I was doing a presentation in front of a joint session, uh, it's called Eurolat, which is the European Parliament and the Latin American Parliament. And they asked me to come and give a presentation on, um, you know, money laundering, and et cetera, and what, what should be done. And when it was over, one of the delegates raised his hand and started yelling at me. And he's yelling about marijuana. In my country, marijuana is legal, but your banks tell me that if I process marijuana transactions, they will close my account. <laughs> now, you know, there's a couple ways to go and say, look, I'm, I'm not the bank. I mean, I'm sorry, I can't, but no. I said, well, do you understand exactly why that's happening? And I explained to him this issue we have of the discrepancy between federal law and state, state. law and 
and why there's so much uncertainty and everything. Not that he went away happy, but he understood. Right. So, you know, you, you'll face challenges or challenging questions, you know, wherever, and you just think about it for a second. And there, because there's always more than one way, you know, one, more than one road to go down. Well, I, I always look forward to your interviews. Uh, you don't pull, you know, you don't pull, you don't pull punches. How they say, you don't pull back punches. Um, so, uh, you know, that is important when you're, when you're doing that. It's, it's, you know, it's about getting actually the answer because again, there is a lot of back and forth and trying to avoid, <laughs> you know, the political response uh, in many cases and, 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 and you try to go for that. Well, I think a you know, perfect example was that, well, that was when I was pressing my friend, the FinCEN director, and he just said, well, instead of answering, he said, I stand by my comment. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was that uh, the regulation speaks for itself. <laughs> yeah, the regulation speaks for itself. I stand by my comment, and that's it. And that's fine. I mean, you know, fine. Yeah. If, if you have a position, then there's really not much more you have to say. And I said that kind of at the beginning when I was saying, you know, you there's a there are different ways to answer a question, and if it's a tough question and one that can be, you know politically challenging, then you just maintain whatever your position is. And that's what you repeat, even if it's not a, a direct answer. I mean, I had that, I walked into a TV studio in Bogota, you'll appreciate it, Eric. And I was there to talk about the FIBA conference. So this is two years ago. Well, it was the day that the US imposed sanctions on China. Um, I forgot the dollar amount that it was going to impact. And as I step on the stage, the, um, the interviewer says to me, you know, I know we're here to talk about, you know, the conference and we'll, and we'll get to that. But, um, could I ask you about, you know, Trump and the sanctions? Uh, because that was the day the market, it was a Friday and the market went down 600 points. Okay. And I said, yeah, sure. And she was what you would expect from a foreign correspondent. And her questions were, were political. Uh, but obviously I, I didn't speak about the president. I didn't speak about you know, the, the Chinese premier. Uh, I spoke about the markets and, and uh, kind of deflected. And so we know it's Friday. These things always happen on Fridays. So yeah, we'll take the weekend, they think about what happened, they calm down, and then we'll see Monday how it looks because we don't really know what the reaction will be. Yeah, I guess that's why you always have to say the administration, right? <laughs> always the administration. No, we're, we're not talking about an individual. Right. No, 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 no. It's an administration, exactly. Yeah. It's the administration. <laughs> Well, the funny part was I get back to the to the hotel um, and, and my wife was with me and she'd watched it on TV and she said, oh, my God, did you see this? And she had messaged me a picture a screenshot and it was me and Trump. On the <laughs> and I said, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> what is that? Then she started asking about Venezuela and the sanctions and it's me. And Maduro on the screen. Uh, <laughs> this is fantastic. You know, this is just how I want to look. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> you so. know, um, it, it's it's interesting in, in, in Colombia. It's uh, you know we, we talk here and, and and you know sometimes we don't you know about you know technology and the change and 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 all of that, right? But uh, you know, in, in Colombia, because it was it was for many years, it's just been dominated by very little banks, right? Literally ten banks. We probably own five of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's 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 um, that, that, that they really don't have, and because of like all the regulation that's, they actually like believe it or not, they have a, a like a, a ton of regulation in in, in Colombia. Um, maybe sometimes the regulation itself is more than here. It's just not enforced, right? Um, or the fines are not as big. But uh, 
but because of that, you know, it's like they, 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 they really have very little like online presence up till like right before the pandemic, you know, like in branches and stuff, you would see lines go two blocks around. Right. And, and with the pandemic, like all of that has had to change. Right. And, and, and they, we've gone through a tra transition that has gone, you know, for years, but for them, it's been literally in a matter of months, they had to do an entire transition from almost no digital banking, mm -hmm. no platforms coming down all the time, no, not working, you know, to having to rely 100% on digital. That is a big change for, for Latin America. It is. Um, and yes, I mean, Colombia in particular has been dominated by a handful of banks. Um, I used to travel there quite a bit when I was with Sudamerics because we were present everywhere in Colombia um, before course. we sold it um, and there you know it's interesting because on the one side some of the very traditional like you said not a lot of digital not a lot of <clears throat> online and yes there is a lot of regulation uh, and very good regulation and very talented uh, supervisors i mean both superintendents uh, are you know it's amazing it's surprising how young when they first started their jobs, not how young they are now, um, but very capable, very competent. Uh, and, and they really have put out a lot of good regulation. And I think you're correct. There's always this challenge of the supervision and the examination and, and doling out fines. Um, but it's also a challenge culturally. Uh, and it's not just Colombia, you know, Mexico is the same issue. Uh, you know, it's a challenge because of the power of some of the criminal organizations and and what they are able to do. <clears throat> and, uh, and I think they're doing a good job in spite of that. I mean, look at the advances, particularly in the area of the private sector now that have also the compliance obligations that the banking sector has. Uh, you know, we worked uh, with the casino industry, uh, casino and games of chance. They showed up at a FIBA conference <clears throat> several years ago. I didn't know who they were and they, quite a few people, and they came up to me, they approached me and they said, you know, we, we have this issue in Colombia where we're seen uh, in a very bad light and it's, we're being de-risked. Can you help us? But we started training them. We created a training program specifically for them and they all got certified. I went down, they, they gave me a tour of the installations because I never had any idea what one of those little kiosks actually does, <laughs> the types of transactions that goes through them. Uh, you know, it's, it's really astounding. It's not just they're selling lottery tickets, but you know, electric bills and the, and the bus passes and, and all these different types of, of things where money moves. So it, you know, it's, a big, it's a big challenge. But then when I walked in the back room, and I see all the monitors and I see all the people there and this is our compliance area and we're monitoring the transactions. we're doing this. Okay, it's not as sophisticated maybe as what we have here, but it's a step right. in the right direction. Um, but they do, uh, you know, when they talk about innovation, they don't talk about innovation the same way we do um, in terms of, you know, digital banking. Innovation really for them has been mobile banking right is being able to to reach the unbanked in the small towns the small villages so that they have access to make payments to you know to withdraw cash those types of things that's been their innovation more than anything else uh, uh, that, that's one of the main challenges you know it's you we thinking we think about digital banking stuff sometimes it's getting just getting to areas where people don't even have a bank so oh, that exactly. is anything that that's the whole goal of you know the idea of financial inclusion is how can we reach those people and provide them banking services that they're not even aware exist that can help them i mean a small farmer you know who who doesn't know that he might have the opportunity of getting a loan to help raise the crop you know and buy the, the materials that they need they have no idea that it works that way uh, and who knows what source they're going to, to get yeah, the money. So, so that's why it is so important to reach that segment. Of course. 
Thank you for joining us in this new episode of The Force. We thank Harry Cup, Compliance Officer of Banco de Bogotá, Miami and New York Agencies, and Sissy Oliver, Senior Manager of Protivity. Don't forget to subscribe to Force, the FIBA podcast, to keep up with the news and trends on banking and finance. Write to us at marketingfiba at fiba.net and send us the topics you would like us to cover in our next episodes. For more information on the benefits and value of being a FIBA member, visit us at www.fiba.net.